hard to believe, but um, for me, we are on our seventh letter in the book of Revelation, the last of the letters or these postcards that were written to the churches. And this last one is written to Laodicea, and our text is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 22. Laodicea shut out Jesus, and they were lukewarm. And uh, we're going to look at this this morning. <clears throat> Please, uh, if I don't remember at the end of the service, remember our young people and uh, Covey and his staff that are going up to the mountains. Please pray for them. Help them to have a great time, great mountaintop experience, great time to learn and to draw closer to the Lord. And uh, scriptures tell us if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. Again, pray that they have safety and a good time with all the events and all the things that they have planned up there this week. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22 should be on the screen behind me. I never get to look at it. Yeah. <clears throat> and it is also in the bulletin if you'd like to write some more there. Again, last sermon here. Uh, I'm not going to preach through the whole book of Revelation, but I... Uh, we preached in Revelation chapter 1, and we looked at the seven churches, and after this one, we're going to have one more, and I'm going to pull some elements out of each of the seven churches. It's kind of a con conclusion, and uh, see if we can, again, get a little bit more encouragement and be challenged and convicted, if need be, by what Jesus uh, told these churches. I'm reading from the New American Standard, Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves in the shame of your nakedness and will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to set with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you know the feeling of expecting one flavor and getting another? Maybe you're at Dairy Queen or Sweet Delights or some ice cream shop that's your favorite and you order something. You don't necessarily look at it and you grab it and you walk away and you're like, yeah. Hey, 
Lord Joyce, this isn't what I ordered. For some reason, this happens to me all the time. And uh, I'm like, hey, what happened to my blueberry crumble nut fudge chocolate brownie drowned with caramel banana cherry strawberry jubilee that I ordered? And it's just not it. Well, how about expecting a cold drink, but getting a hot one? You wanted cold water, which would have been refreshing, but you get hot. Or how about if somebody promised, hey, there's hot water over here. Go over and lay in that pool over there, and it'll, it'll help you with some of your medical aches and pains, Dave. It'll help you with your bad back and your muscle spasms and your arthritis and your knees and your joints hurting and whatnot. But when you get over and you get in the water expecting some good hot water, it's what? Not that hot at all. It's not going to help you. How about anticipating ice cold milk? But after one drink, you go... Because you realize it's been setting for a while. Do you ever drink warm milk like that? To me, it's foul. It's, it's nasty. I just, it's like, it's turning into cottage cheese. What's going on? I don't like this stuff. Well, lukewarm water is neither refreshing when you drink it, and it's not going to help you in these mineral springs here in Laodicea for these medical problems that you have. Have you ever gotten something into your mouth that you just wanted to move abruptly? You just wanted to spit it out as quick as it got into your mouth. Probably the kinds of feelings that Jesus gets at times. The works of the Laodicean church made Christ want to vomit the believers out of his mouth in a very vivid terms. The Lord rejected the half-hearted efforts of the self-satisfied Christians there. You see, he expects a high level of commitment from his followers. But he gets mediocrity at best from them. He expects praise and worship, but he gets grumbling and complaining. He expects close fellowship amongst disciples, but he hears backbiting and he sees shallowness. How many times did the Lord come expecting one thing but receiving something totally different? All the while, the church may feel it's right on, being blessed by God. The church may feel that the Lord is with them, but is actually on the outside looking in. This was the case with the last of the seven churches addressed by Jesus in the book of Revelation. I believe that this church best describes the church in America that has shut Jesus out and that is lukewarm. The city of Laodicea, we've looked at each of the cities. Again, you'll see some things here that same in some of the other cities. Different results, maybe, where some claim, hey, we want the money after the earthquake. These people were rich. They said, we don't want your money, Caesar. We'll take care of it ourselves and rebuild the city. This city was founded in the 3rd B.C. by Antiochus II. 
And he named it after his wife, Laodicea was her name. Kind of interesting, Laodicea. It was 43 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It had four major attributes. One was wealth. They were, thought they were very rich. It was a banking center. This was the Hollywood of the day, the home of all the millionaires. Somebody told me that somebody in Chicago won a billion dollars or something on a pay, mega pega power per power, and he's rich now. Whatever he did. Uh, he's going to have lots of friends calling him and knocking on the door. Hey, you remember me from uh, preschool? And we used to eat glue together. Could I have some money? <clears throat> but we were laughing in our house last night when we saw that on the news. But you see, this place was wealthy. Millionaires. At one point, again, the city was totally destroyed by an earthquake. The city was so confident that it could rebuild that it refused the help of the, the empire and the Roman emperor. Commercialism was big time here. They were famous for black sheep. Hmm. I thought I was the black sheep of my family. No. But they had black sheep there. How many people have seen black sheep before? Normally they're white. Yeah, maybe they're a little bit gray because they're dirty and rolling around in the dirt. But black sheep, that was something special. And what could you get from black sheep? Get black wool. And what would you get from black wool? You'd get some nice black shiny garments, couldn't you? Laodicea had it. Nobody else did. So people wanted those black dresses and shiny garments and those things that they were able to offer. So their wool was expensive, their outfits and clothes were expensive, and all the people around the world, they wanted them. They had an eye salve there. It was famous. It was exported all over the world. They would take these tablets and they'd grind them into a powder and they'd add some water to them and they helped to relieve some eye complaints. Phrygia was one of the areas in Asia Minor where eye diseases were rampant. I don't know if they were close to volcanoes and so forth. There were a lot of them over there that went off back in those times. And I don't know if there were some type of fissures and steam and stuff coming out or somehow maybe going on the land. And they got this stuff on their hands and got it in their eyes and, and messed with them. But they wanted that eye salve that the people would lay at the sea and made. They had medicine here at Laodicea. They had a school of medicine. They were trying to invent things. Remember, they were millionaires. They had a lot of money. What do millionaires want to do today? They want to live a long life. They'll spend tons of money on different cures and things. Well, that's how they were able to de develop this eye salve. And supposedly, it helped to cure various eye inflammations. This place was also known for their hot springs. Outside of town, again, maybe volcanic things caused water and so forth to hit these minerals and everything, and they'd come down the mountain, and maybe you were up close to the top of the mountains up there, it would have been hot, maybe too hot, and it would have burned you. 
But they allowed the water to come down the hill a little bit, and what happened? There were other creeks and streams and stuff coming with cold spring water. It mixed with the hot water, and by the time it got down there to the levels where they would climb to to soak in it, it was just lukewarm. At this point, wasn't good to drink because it was lukewarm. And again, it, it was didn't give you the relief by soaking in it that uh, they claimed that it would be able to give people. Now, Laodicea was destroyed in the 14th century AD by the Turks. Turkey owns that territory now. And the church at times, even today, takes on the nature of the town maybe that it lives in or the country where it lives. And this was the case with Laodicea, the Christian church here. Jesus mentions all these things that you study in history that you see that they were famous for. And again, he uses these characteristics of Laodicea in teaching and rebuking the church here with this seventh letter. Notice the Christ of this letter. Verse 14, he says to the angel, to the, the messenger, if it's the evangelist, if it's an elder... Um, whoever it is, maybe an apostle that's there preaching and teaching at the church. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, he writes, the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the origin of the creation of God says this, the amen, whenever we like something or whatever, we, people will say, amen. I had someone tell me after Sunday school, Man, you should have had a hundred amens in Sunday school this morning. And I laughed and I said, thank you. But what they're saying is, is everybody should agree. You see, but Jesus, he's the amen. He has ultimate authority. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up to the, the apostles when he was giving them the great commission. And he told them, all authority you see, I'm the amen. I have ultimate authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Strong personalities or money. You know, they're not the driving influence in the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the ultimate authority in determining God's will. If God wants it, he will supply the means and the ability to be able to obtain what he wants for his church. He's the amen. The ultimate authority. He's the faithful. And the true witness. He, is always, he always tells the truth. He's faithful to his word. And to the promises that he makes. He encourages the messengers of the churches. Those who preach truth. Paul was trying to encourage his young son in the faith. Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2. 1-5 it says... You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him. And if someone... Likewise competes as an athlete. He is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. 
He's given us his word and his rule book. And we need to follow it and its teachings. And then we'll be able to claim the hope and the promises and the blessings that come from being obedient to him. And then it says there that he's the origin of the creation of God. Some translations may say ruler of the creation of God. He's, what, what it's meaning is here, he, he's the beginning. He is the originator. He is the source. Colossians 1, 15-19 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in Him. All the fullness of the Godhead. All the parts of the Godhead dwell in Him. Colossians 2 9 says, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You see, He is the originator, the creator. He's the Word that is God. And the Word that became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, John 1, that chapter teaches. And it's see, he's the one who came there at creation and was that word that brought everything to life. The rich, self-sufficient Laodiceans are reminded from whom all blessings flow. Jesus, the originator, is the creator of all things. Even their black sheep, their eye salve. But they thought that they were the cat's meow and they were all that. But they weren't. You know? Pigs. We expect them to just eat the acorns that fall into their pen without looking up to see where they came from. But people were supposed to be better than pigs. The Laodicean Christians should have known better and thanked the Lord for what he blessed them with. Whatever riches they had, whatever sheep and wool they had, and clothing and so on and so forth. Well, what's the condition of the church here? Revelation 3, 15 through 17. Again, he says this in all the churches to them. I know your deeds. You see, he knows everything. He knows their actions, their deeds. He knows what they're doing, what they're not doing. And he says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Don't like that milk. That's not the flavor I ordered. What's going on? See, Jesus knows. He knows who they are, the Laodiceans, and what they should be, and what they should be doing. And he said, you're not these things, so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, notice. Because you say, because you Laodiceans say, I'm rich, and I've become wealthy, I have no need of anything. I don't even need you, God. Because we're rich and we can do what we want. We don't need you, Emperor, to help us here fix this earthquake. We don't need anybody to help us do anything. We have the medical cures. We have gold. We'll take care of our problems and our issues. We're fine, thank you. 
Jesus says, you don't even know. You're wretched, miserable. They thought they could see. They were, they were poor and they were blind. They thought they had money. They were poor. They thought they had these beautiful black shiny garments. Woohoo! like my black suit. Laura said, you wore a black suit last week. I said, yeah, get me another one for this week to make a point. Yeah, everybody likes black, right? I look better in black. I, I look better in black, too. <clears throat> right, with my white hair and bald head. You see, he's telling them they were naked. You think you got these great garments that everybody wants? You're naked. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your works. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus knows what they're doing. Jesus knows why the Laodiceans are doing what they are doing. He knows their actions, their motives. We see three major spiritual conditions here. One, cold. No interest in spiritual things. Could care less about God and his church. Now, not necessarily a description of the Laodicean Christian church. But you could be hot spiritually. Boiling over with spiritual fervor. Can't get enough of God and his church. Sing and you serve with passion for God. Christianity is serious business to these people. Again, does not describe the Laodicean Christian church. They probably attended and they gave and they served within reason. But they limited their commitment. And then there's that lukewarm spiritual condition. No passion, no emotion, no tears, no sweat. This was the description of the Laodicean Christian church. How about MCC? What, David? What about us? Are we cold? Are we hot? Are we lukewarm? We see the Laodicean church. Jesus uses three things that we want to mention that we have mentioned in our introduction, but I'm going to go over again. You see, they thought they were rich. Don't need anything from anybody, including God. The Laodiceans were guilty of atheism of the dollar. What in the world are you talking about, David? You're making things up. Yeah, I am, but it sounds good. Atheism of the dollar, it comes. When the dollar comes in and God goes out, you see, we got money and we got riches. We can do everything. We don't need you, God, right now. You see, this was wrong then, and it's wrong even today. Notice some of the great men in the Bible. I'll just mention two. We're running out of time. 2 Timothy 4.13, Paul says, When you come, bring the overcoat, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, and especially the parchments. You see what was important to Paul, the apostle? Do you see what he owned? He owned a coat, a few bark books, and a parchment. Hmm. 
the end of Paul's life, he was faithful. He had an unwavering ministry. But he owns practically nothing. What about Jesus? In Matthew 8.20, Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man, me, the Son of God, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Hmm. You see, yeah, God blesses with wealth. I don't want to just attack riches or wealth. Yeah, God does bless. But to say I'm wealthy because I'm so spiritual is not necessarily true. Look at all these riches and these great things that we have because we're so great. Jesus has got us on top of the list. Woohoo! Does he? This says he's going to spit them out of his mouth. Many churches feel with money they can accomplish anything or do anything. Yeah, it can accomplish much and do many great things, but we must not leave God out. We must be being obedient to God and his commandments and his teachings. And all the examples and references and inferences we have in his word of how we should live. And yes, then do right with the material things he gives us. We see they were clothed. They thought that their special black wool was all they needed to make garments and clothe themselves. And to give them the proper clothes that they needed to wear. But their beautiful black shiny garments which covered the bodies of so many and so many different foreign lands cannot hide their embarrassing nakedness. All the looms of their rich city could not weave clothes to cover their sins. Their spiritual nakedness. What about their health? They had their medical breakthroughs with their eye salve and their hot mineral springs to set in for healing. They thought they had found some cures, that they had their faith in their medical profession and what they were selling. I remember watching a movie back in the day with the kids, and um, it was a stupid comedy movie. We were watching it and laughing, and the one guy says, I only believe in science. And the other guy says, well, I know why we're losing. It's because you're not a Christian. And he had a little bucket of water and he was shoving this guy's face in there. Well, you see, these people, they had their medicine. We can cure problems. We can cure our issues. But who's the great physician? Who can really cure us and help us? It's Jesus. See, they were blind. They couldn't see their need. They got caught up in self and peripheral things. They could not see the real pressing needs. Being busy is not the same as being busy doing the Lord's work and seeking and saving the lost. Their faith was in what was seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says though, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, 
But the things which are not seen are eternal. Thirdly, look at Jesus' counsel here to the church. Verse 18. I advise. What do you mean I advise? Jesus was recommending the proper decision and the proper course of action that they needed to make. He's saying, y'all think you're rich and you got this gold and you're getting all these money from your eyes salve and people coming to, to lay in your, your mineral lukewarm sauna up on the hill and whatnot. But he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What do you mean gold refined by fire? It wasn't just gold that they may not do anything with and just pass around. See, if you got gold, you spent a lot of time with it. And you kept heating it over and over and again. Why? To get the dross out of it and the impurities. You were making it the most pure gold that you possibly could. Jesus has the best, purest, crystal clear translucent, wonderful gold, and it has no impurities or imperfections or sin or bad things in it. And he's saying, buy gold refined, refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments. But whoa, whoa. I like black. Don't we all like black? It makes us look good. He's telling them, don't be looking at these earthly temporal things. Think about spiritual. You don't want black spiritually. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. It's not good. That's what it represents. But white garments washed in the precious blood of the lamb. Those are the garments you need. You need to have those on. Buy these white garments or get these white garments off me, off Jesus. Who's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin, the creation of God. So that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness, the, the, cover your sins so that they're not revealed. And he wants to sell them eye salve and apply this to your eyes so you could see spiritually and see what's right. So that you may see, Jesus advises them to buy from him things that their city could not provide. Something in exchange, in a purchase. They were exchanging money for goods. They were instructed to give up their pride and arrogance, their sins, to gain Christ's eternal riches. 1 Peter 1.7 says, So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Instead of comfort in their black wool, buy white clothes to cover their spiritual nakedness. Their arrogance left them like the world around them. They were not living pure, holy, separated lives. The worldly systems were greatly influencing them and their decisions and who they were. They needed a spiritual perspective. They needed the salve of God's word for their spiritual eyes so they could truly be able to see. Their trust was in worldly standards 
and not in God's standards. And fourthly, realize the compassion of Jesus. Verses 19 through 22. Those whom I love, I rebuke them. I discipline them. What? You love me, so you're beating me? My dad used to tell me that. David, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm like, well, don't hit me with the Board of Education then. You know? I don't want stung with that thing. But he was doing it to show me. Don't do the things that you're doing that are causing you to get this spanking. Do what's right. Jesus, at times, he has to rebuke us. Discipline us. And what's it say? Therefore, be zealous and repent. Wow, we got to zealously repent and change when God disciplines us. And it says there in verse 20, and I stand at the door and I knock. What door is he standing at? A lot of people like to say, my door. He's standing here at the church's door knocking. Church, let me in. Let me in, church. Now, who's in the church and who makes up the church? People, right? Us. So somebody could be in the church that would open up the door and say, hey, I, I, I want to hear what you're saying. Tell me more of this. What's going on? What are we doing? Why are we? Oh, well, maybe not everybody else is going to listen, but maybe those few will. And he says, me and the Father, we'll come and we'll dine with you. We'll sit with you. He says, if anyone in that church hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and we'll dine with him and he with me. And the one who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit with me on my throne. See, he overcame death and rose from the grave and whatnot. And he was coronated and glorified as the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And God allowed him to sit on his throne. And he's saying, if you overcome sins and the things of these, the world, I'll let you sit with me on my throne. The one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. They slipped away. But they were not cast away yet. Jesus was going to discipline them. And Jesus is pleading for them to zealously repent and to get back on the straight and narrow and do what's right. We see Jesus knocking on the door of the church that had shut him out. And he tells them, if anybody hears my voice, open the door and I'll come into you and dine with you. These were Christians. People who knew the truth, but they failed to practice it. And Jesus still held to a promise. If they would overcome their present state, he would grant them the set with him on his throne. We're out of time. In conclusion, where's your trust? In what or whom do you place your trust? Have you allowed things to allure you away from your relationship with the Savior? What's the authority in your life? People more influential than you? Money, money, money is more important. 
Material things, keeping up with the Joneses, that's more important. What place does the Bible, the Word of God, have in your life? How do you rate your commitment to the Lord and to His church? Do you love Jesus enough that you're going to obey Him? Do you maintain an excitement and fervor about the Lord and His church and the salvation that He offers for eternity? Is God and His kingdom the top priority in your life? Where's Jesus at? At this point, does He have a home in your heart? Or is He standing outside knocking? Does anybody hear me? Does anybody? A man took his daughter to an art gallery. They were viewing the art and they were walking around and they came to the famous picture where Jesus is standing and knocking at the door. In the painting, there was no latch on the outside of the door, no handle on the outside of the door. And there was a halo in the shape of a heart around the door. And the little girl, she said to her dad and pulled on his hand, we'd let him in, wouldn't we, dad? We'd let him in. Will you let him in to the church? Will you let him into your life? Jesus stands knocking as Savior to save as the great physician to heal, as the great leader to be able to guide us, as king to be able to rule our life. Why don't you commit your life to him today? Jesus, he loves you so much. Will you be zealous for him and repent? Turn from the sinful things of this world Will you let him into your heart and mind and dine with him all the time? Will you be an overcomer and someday be able to sit with him on his throne? If you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, what the Word of God says to the churches. Have you obeyed the gospel message to be saved? in and through Jesus Christ. You know, it's not hard. God and Jesus, they've done all the heavy lifting. They've done all the hard work for us. What we're told we need to do is believe. And we need to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we need to repent and turn from this world of sin and turn to God and to Jesus. We need to then be immersed for the forgiveness of our sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you become a Christian, then you need to live a faithful, dedicated, committed life until the end of your life or until Jesus returns for his church to be able to receive that crown of life. We're going to be standing and singing our hymn of invitation. And if you're here and you're outside of Christ, the water's warm. We have robes ready on each side. Uh, you can come forward. I can take your confession before uh, witnesses today. And we can be down in that water and baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit if that would be your wish today.